Let's pray. Lord, you work beautiful things through songs and through music, Lord, and um, we thank you for that incredible gift that you've blessed us with. Here this morning and week after week, year after year, century after century, Lord, you have blessed us with songs. So I pray, Lord, that our appreciation would deepen this morning as we dig into one of the oldest songs um, that we have in scriptures from the Exodus, Lord. We pray that our hearts would be open and your spirit would move in Jesus' name. Amen. Wonderful. So if some of you were here back in January, I talked about church music and how the Holy Spirit works and moves through the music, the songs that we sing. And uh, I just want to give you a little recap of that. Um, You know, music has changed and transformed over the years, hasn't it? Um, And I'm not just saying like the last 30 or 40 years, but we can all see the evidence of that, right? Um, But over the centuries, the, the buildings that the church is in makes a difference. The technology at hand makes a difference. The availability of musicians makes a difference. Um, One of the biggest factors was maybe just having the printed word in your hands. Uh, Early church services uh, uh, in Christianity, when the church was legal, uh, they built these cathedrals, and the people didn't sing along. Somebody up front did all the singing, and um, we've come a long ways as we sing these songs and these hymns as the church. In January, we also talked about how churches often struggle to find a balance between the old and the new, right? Change can be uncomfortable, um, but there's also new songs and new melodies that our current generation uh, sings that maybe we don't know in this room. And there's songs that we sing in this room that the next generation doesn't know. Um, I think it's important for a church uh, to be okay with both of those things and to find find a way to do both really well. And we also talked about in January how these songs have incredible power. They, They have power to teach theology. Many of the hymns that we sing were written in an era when people didn't have books. Maybe a lot of people didn't read, but people definitely didn't have, you know, access to the Word of God. Like many of us probably have multiple Bibles on our shelves in home. So hymns taught theology, right? And songs also make scriptures more memorable. We just did that this morning with Hi Ho, Hi Ho. And songs also have the power to help us remember God's faithfulness. They carry a message. They carry a reminder. Songs also have the power to express our emotions. Um, the, music, the music does something with the words that, that speaks deeper to our souls. Maybe not all of us are wired that way, but I certainly am. And our songs have power to proclaim truth about God. And this, this is why we do this as a church. This is why we sing. This is why these songs go all the way back before Christ into the Old Testament because it was a way for them to pass on stories. It was a way for them to remember God's faithfulness. So that's what we're looking into today. We're looking at Moses' song, and it was kind of a long scripture reading this morning, but it wouldn't have been right to cut the song short, right? So this song that, or, or, or poem um, is a celebration of the victory that God has won for Israel at the Red Sea. And they're looking forward to the promised land, and they're often, this is often referred to as the Song of Moses, and at the end of the chapter, there's uh, another song by Miriam as well, Uh, but we're not going to get into Miriam's today. So um, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go through this song and elaborate a little bit on it and make some connections with other places in Scripture. Uh, So this is on page 110 in your pew Bible. It would probably be helpful to pull that out and follow along. So the Blue Bibles, page 110, we're in Exodus 15, 1 through 19. So I'm going to take it a couple verses at a time and stop occasionally um, just to point a few things out so that we can better understand uh, all all the nuances that are in this passage. So 
starting with verse 1. Then Moses and the Israelites sang a song, sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. Now remember, the previous two chapters of Exodus have been the account of their flight out of Israel and the pursuit of Pharaoh's army, and then how God miraculously pulled them through the Red Sea on dry ground, yet Pharaoh's army was drowned. They were delivered, they were delivered from their enemies. So both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. Maybe this was written weeks or a month after. Maybe this was um, first saying or, or written or spoken, you know, in the hours after. We don't know. But this was really fresh. This just happened for them. It was very powerful. Notice it wasn't just Moses that sang it. It was the Israelites along with him. Verse 2, the Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My Father's God and I will exalt him. How many of you have heard that verse quoted before, just by itself? Yeah, a lot of us have, right? The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. I, I hopefully, hopefully we can say that about ourselves, right? This is something that translates over time. But when Moses is writing salvation, it means something a little different. He's not talking about the eternity of his soul as much as the very physical salvation delivered from the hands of the enemy. So for us, it translates to our faith today. We're talking about eternal life. We're talking about a paradise with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's how we talk about salvation. For Moses, this was a very tangible event that happened in his life. Verse 3, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Um, some, some verses say divine warrior. I think, I think this is neat because it, it says that God is fighting for his people, right? Um, a lot of people in our culture have this belief in God that God is absent and, and not really involved in the day-to-day of our lives. Um, our experience through the power of the Holy Spirit is that God very much is, and God is still a warrior, uh, maybe in some different ways than what we see in the Old Testament, but God is still fighting for us. Verse 4, Pharaoh's chariots and his army he is hurled into the sea, and the best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Um, this is one of the many allusions in this song to God's power over creation. And the Hebrew word that talks about the covering waters, covering Pharaoh's army, is the same word that it mentions in Genesis 1-2, the chaotic waters um, in creation, before God brings order to this new world that's being created. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. And that's some pretty final imagery, shattering. If you take a pane of glass and shatter it, there's no putting that back together, right? There's a finality about this. What God has done here has a finality about it. Verse 7, In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. Uh, Verse 8 starts by the blast of your nostrils. This is like a poetic phrase for wind, right? So they, they had this paradigm that God was big and powerful, and sometimes when the wind blew, it was actually God making it blow. And particularly in this case, it was God making the wind blow. It's still that same breath of life, breath of God imagery that we have from the creation story. And it's still God controlling this supernatural event. They weren't running around to each other afterwards saying, was that Captain Marvel? Or was that the boogeyman? Who did this for us? No, they were confident that it was God who had saved them. And then the end of that, congealed. I had to look up the word congealed, okay? 
uh, the, the deep waters, they, they did something that water doesn't normally do. They solidified. They walked through. And if you've seen the old Charlton Heston movie, right, uh, where the, they walk through these big, moving uh, walls of water on dry land, something happened to that water where it like, solidified into something solid so they could walk through. Maybe it froze. I don't know. Maybe they had an ice age, a really short one. Um, whatever the case is, it doesn't matter. God delivered them. Uh, these, these natural things did something supernatural because God intervened. Continuing with verse 9, the enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them, I will draw my sword, and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath, and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretch out your right hand, and the earth swallows your enemies. So who among the gods is like you? Uh, the Israelites had this view of the heavens where it wasn't just one celestial figure pulling all the shots. The, they believed in angels. They believed in forces of evil. They believed, in, they, they believed that false gods existed. Uh, as you see in the Old Testament, there's often uh, the tendency for Israel to worship idols and worship false gods. But what this verse reflects is that God, the, the creator of heaven and earth, is unique among all of these things. God is more powerful than all of these other celestial beings and powers and forces and whatever might be there. God is absolutely unique. Pretty good worldview for them to have after this miracle. So up until now, they've been telling this story, right? And uh, before a lot of written languages came to exist, these songs and these poems told stories. It was how they passed on their story, God's work in their lives from generation to generation, right? We still do that. Verse 13 shifts gears. So, so we've been looking back, now we're looking forward. And this song's become something about God's promises that have not yet come to pass. So picking up in verse 13. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. Uh, another, some translations, unfailing, says steadfast love. Um, this is a reference to God's covenant faithfulness. This covenant goes back to Noah and then with Abraham. And this is, this is something that is a throwback, but it also says this is a present unfailing love that they get to be a part of today. In your strength you will guide them to your holy dwelling, or another translation says holy abode. Like this is a safe place. And this is pointing to Mount Sinai for sure, because that's what they're on their way to, right? But it also possibly points to Mount Zion. Mount Sinai in itself is not the promised land. It's a stop along the way. It's where God told Moses to bring them to. But decades down the road, there's also allusions here that this is pointing to Mount Zion. Verse 14, the nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling, and the people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as stone until your people pass by, Lord, until the people you brought pass by. So these three verses are contrasting what they know to be true about God and his power with all of the, all of the personal, personality, earthly people challenges that they're going to face. And their belief in this moment is that God is bigger than all those things. So, no problem. Because God is intervening, God is protecting his people, these potential enemies, these people that are already there that have caused problems in the past, um, are just going to be seized 
They're going to seize up. Verse 17, you will bring them in and plant them on the mountains of your inheritance. This is talking about God's people now. And again, the mountain of your inheritance, Mount Sinai is not technically the mountain of their inheritance. Mount Zion is the mountain of their inheritance. Again, looking forward years down the road. The place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, that your hands established. Verse 18, the Lord reigns forever and ever. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the, back, of the sea back over them, but the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. So this, this ends, this song ends in this, pretty much the same way it started, because they're in the midst of this story that's unfolding. There's a lot of highlights and themes we could talk about here. I hope that adds just a little bit of depth to the scripture for you. Um, but some things, some things I think we could take away for sure. This is, this is the song of an all-in people. We know as we read more in the Old Testament that they don't always remember this. They don't always remember God working. We talked last week a lot about God's power and presence and how they would forget and then remember and forget and remember, um, kind of trapped in this vicious cycle. But in this moment, Moses and the Israelites are all-in. This is a song of tremendous faith, isn't it? Our songs should be written and spoken and sang as if we are an all-in people too, right? Many of, many of the, the hymns and the songs that withstand the test of time resonate on that level with us. Um, the song that, that Ashley and Caleb will be doing after the sermon here, um, I just realized this week, those lyrics were originally in Latin 1,500 years ago. Um, this, is, this is some pretty long-standing stuff here. One of the characteristics of many of our contemporary worship songs um, that I will do with special music sometimes or other people will is to proclaim a simple truth about God's character and then to express the worshiper's devotion to God. Now, I've heard a lot of criticisms of modern worship music that it's shallow, but I think it just engages with the truths of God in a little different way. Like I mentioned before, a lot of our hymns teach theology because they were written in a time where people didn't have access to theological writings to study theology for themselves. But the modern songs um, that I really started connecting with through college and my, and my young adult years, um, they, they often repeat a really important truth about God a few times, right? That's why you get choruses that, that might sing the same thing over and over because that's a very important truth to have stick in our heads, for us to relate with, not just to say it, but to really feel it and to experience it. The last hymn we're going to do, How Great Is Our God Today, does that. It repeats How Great Is Our God a few times. Well, that's something we can repeat a few times, right? We want to go deep into these truths about God and not stay on the surface. This song of Moses clearly places God as the object of their worship. It is God who is powerful. It is God who has saved them. It doesn't at all tout their own abilities or their own strength. They knew that it was God. And our faith is the same way. Um, if, we're, if we're honest and humble, we know that our salvation is not anything to do with our works and our own abilities. But it's because God has interceded in our lives. How can this song challenge us? As we talked about last week, God's power and presence is real. We should be looking for it, right? This song and the songs that we sing together should be should be stirring up reminders of God's presence in our lives. One of the, these songs are one of the biggest tools we have, I think, to, to add some connectiveness to our faith between seasons of life, between experiences. Um, if we move from church to church to church, if we have to move throughout our lives, as I have already, these songs become a staple. This music becomes a staple for us as God's people. And these songs should help us continue to put words to God's faithfulness, 
Not all of us are poets and lyricists, right? Most of us in here probably haven't written a song. But God has gifted other people to put words to some things that we maybe just couldn't find words for without them. Also, Moses' song here looks forward to God's continued work in the future. We have many hymns and songs that do the same thing for us. Um, whether it's the last verse of Amazing Grace, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright, shining as the sun, or the original last verse of Amazing Grace, um, the earth will soon dissolve to snow, the sun forbear to shine, but God who brought me here below will be forever mine. These hymns also point to that future glory, that future eternity that we get to share. And our songs of eternity with Jesus give us hope, and they give us assurance because we look around and we see that God's work isn't yet completed on earth. We know we're in that in-between time but we have paradise to look forward to. Um, and just a side note, there have been some really incredible songs in the last 10 or 15 years written about eternity, written about heaven. So if you want to hear some of those, let me know, and I will give you a list or send you some links or whatever it takes. So, The last thing I want to leave you with is this, um, and many in this congregation know this. This music is a gift from God. It's a gift. The hymns are a gift. The instruments are gifts. The musicians are gifts. The modern songs being written, those are also gifts. And I think we want to experience a lot of these gifts because we know that they're good. I think we should be excited and committed to learning and singing the songs of the next generation, just like we want the, the next generation to learn and sing the songs that we grew up and connect with too, right? They're all gifts. They're all valuable for the people of God. They're all valuable for the church, the big C church. So as we lean into these songs and this music here at Emmanuel, uh, maybe in our own personal lives as we do devotions or listen to Christian radio or listen to old gospels, um, I've been doing that a little bit more lately, let's be people with songs to sing. Powerful songs of worship. Don't just go through the motions when we gather as the church. Because these songs help us to remember that God is good. They remind us of the future grace. They remind us of our grace today. They remind us from what God has saved us from and the power of sin. Let's embrace what God has done through music. Let's look forward to what God continues to do through music. Um, and in all things, let's love well and let's be people of grace as we sing these songs together. Let's pray. Lord, it is an incredible blessing, these gifts that you've given us. And, and Father, I pray that our lives would continue to be enriched. And as I just mentioned, Lord, we often... We often go through the motions, Lord. We often don't interact with the lyrics or the music in a way that really does it justice. Lord, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would draw us deeper. You would draw us deeper, not for the sake of the music, not for the sake of the song, but for the sake of knowing you more, of experiencing your loving presence, of affirming the truths that we know about you, God, and profess, but also um, teaching us new things and new realities and new wonders that are part of being part of the body of Christ. Lord, we, um, we are so blessed, and we thank you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.